It's so fun to see such great chats happening. Well, we're excited that Peter is going to be sharing with us today, and I'm just going to pray for Peter before we get started. So let's do that. Father God, I thank you so much for Peter, and I thank you for what you're doing amongst um, us today. God, I thank you that you know each and every single one of us, and you know where our heart is. You know our thoughts before we even think them. You know when we sit, uh, stand up and when we sit down, and you are concerned about all of our ways. God, I thank you that you are in constant pursuit of us and that you try everything that you can just to communicate that you love us and that you give your life so generously for us so that we can give our lives generously. I thank you, God, for Peter and giving his life generously for the word this morning. I pray that you would put your words in his mouth, that you would fill him with your spirit and speak to your people today. And as he sings in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brindley. Uh, today, uh, we will continue our series on money matters. I will be sharing with you what the Old Testament and the New Testament tell us about money. I hope and pray that we will be challenged to set biblical standard. And I hope and then pray that. And own money and the wealth through this sermon. Almost every people of faith in the Old Testament were rich. The Bible doesn't tell us how much Abraham inherited from his father, but he was for sure a very rich man. He even had a private army. Abraham's son Isaac was rich too. He inherited a lot of wealth from his father, yes, but he was a successful farmer as well. When he obeyed God and stayed Canaan during a terrible drought, God blessed him so he had harvested 100 times what he planted. Isaac's son Jacob was also rich. The Bible states he had thousands of cattle, goats, sheep, Camels and donkeys, when he was returning home after 20 years of working with, for his uncle, he had gained great wealth. What about David and Solomon? King David gave $5 billion for the building of the temple and for the ministry of caring for the poor. King Solomon was so rich Silver was not even considered precious during his reign. They were definitely rich. Also, the Bible tells us Job received God's blessing for keeping his face despite suffering in the form of great wealth. Do you guys believe in God in the Old Testament text? Then, we should all be rich, right? <laughs> According to the Old Testament, wealth means God's blessing, right? But this is what the New Testament says. James 5.1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Rich people, beware. Miseries are coming on your way. 
How are we to understand this? In the Old Testament, God's blessing is revealed in material things, things you, you can see with your eyes. Abraham and other people of faith receive the visible blessings from, from God. Like having many children, getting more animals, more land, more servants, getting rich. These things show that the people and the nations around them, that God was with them, and that they had God's favor and blessing. However, in the New Testament, God's blessing is expressed as spiritual things, more of the inner things. Most Christians in the New Testament were poor while receiving other blessings from God. At the same time, there are many rich characters in the New Testament whose hearts are far away from God. So, how wealth is portrayed in the Old Testament time and the New Testament time is different. What divided the Old Testament time and the New Testament time? The coming of Jesus Christ. Just as we divide the time in history as B.C., before Christ, and the A.D., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord, the Bible is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament by, by the birth and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, a question to ask here. Does the coming of Jesus just do away with the Old Testament and start fresh with the New Testament? Are we to consider the Old Testament only as a foreshadowing for the realities of the New Testament? No, that is not true. Virtually the entire Bible is a story of God's redemptive work, the story of God's efforts to restore our relationship with God. The Old Testament tells of God constantly reaching out the rebellious people and promise of a Savior who is coming to reverse the efforts of the four. Fulfilling that promise, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins and raised again from death, opening the way for us to become God's children. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are the testimony of the God's plan and working out of bringing us back into his family. So it is very important that when we read the Bible, we must always have in mind the big picture, God's plan for salvation for people. We often read the Bible, Old Testament, as episodes of different people and events and it is like looking at individual trees and neglecting to see the big forest. There was a gardener who wanted to express his love to his wife. He made a big garden in the shape of the words, I love you, by planting hundreds of trees and flowers. Then he brought his wife to look at the garden. 
She was so delighted by the beauty and the colors of the trees and the flowers. But that does not mean that she has seen the garden as the gardener had intended. Only when he took her to the higher ground, she saw the words, I love you, formed by the trees and the flowers. Then she understood fully what her husband really wanted her to see. If we read the Bible with big eyes, big picture of the God's redemptive work in mind, we can get more answers. I give you one example. In the Old Testament, God present, God's presence appears only in specific place. While the Israeli people were traveling the wilderness, the tabernacle represented God's presence among them. Once the settled in Canaan, a temple was built in Jerusalem and the people were supposed to worship there only. That was why it was a such big deal when the temple was destroyed in Israel's history. But take a look at John chapter two. Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will lay it up. Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. He is saying that he is the temple. And this is what Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Paul teaching us that now we are God's temple. In the New Testament time, the temple is not a location, a building anymore. Wherever we go with Jesus in our hearts is a temple. We are God's temples. In the same way, the material was shown as evidence of God's blessing in the Old Testament time. It is spoken differently by Jesus in the New Testament. It is important for us to understand what Jesus is teaching us about money so that we can have the, the right standard and the perspective about money that will dictate what we do with the money. Next to the kingdom of God, Jesus talks the uh, most of the money and the material wealth in mentions many times in the New Testament. Let's look at some of them. In Matthew 19, there is a story about rich young man. When young man ask Jesus, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus tells him to obey the commandments such as no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false testimony, honoring parents, and loving neighbors as yourself. When the young man says, I have kept all of them, Jesus tells him, go, 
sell your possessions and give to the poor. But the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, let's think about it. Is it bad being rich? Is it bad being rich? No. Being rich itself is not inherently bad or evil. As we saw in the examples of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and many others in the Bible, material wealth is also God's blessing. What matters is how, we, how you live and how you use the wealth God has given you. Being greedy and not being able to use money to do good is what keeps you from entering God's kingdom. In Matthew 18, there is a parable of an ungrateful servant. The king forgave him a million of dollars, but he did not forgive a friend who owed him 10,000. He had received grace, but he was not thankful and did not extend grace and generosity to others. Jesus teaching us that the important thing with money and wealth is the exercise of generosity and justice. And in Matthew chapter 20, is a parable of vineyard workers. Workers who had worked eight hours and workers who had worked only one hour received the same wage. The workers who worked all day complained but the vineyard owner had the authority over how much to give, and he had given to each person as promised. We can learn from this story that we must overcome what we think to be rational or fair and have the eyes to see God's way of giving us grace. Then in Mark 12, we see how Jesus valued a poor widow's two pennies more than the offerings of the rich who gave out of their abundance. Jesus saw and valued the heart of, heart of the widow. It teaches us that the attitude of our heart matters to God, not how much we give. One more example. In Luke 12, a rich man happy with his huge harvest and tells himself that he will build a big warehouse to store it and will enjoy his riches for the last of his life. However, Jesus said, all the wealth would not matter if God takes his soul that night and teaches us to seek to teach us to stick the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. He is teaching us to put God first and to use what we have for God's kingdom. So, the blessings Jesus talked about in the four Gospels is different from what the Old Testament shows us. The blessing Jesus talks about is 
the kingdom of God. Having accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God's kingdom, his presence and reign is the blessing given to Christians. The teach teaches us the attitudes and the actions we are to take as Jesus followers in the world. As we journey through life with our eyes fixed on kingdom of God, here on earth and later in heaven, the Bible is warning us not to be greedy with money. We should not enjoy them just for ourselves, assuming it is God's blessing just for us. Jesus teaches us by saying, be on your guard against all kind of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It is important for us to have the right understanding of money and wealth. That will decide how we use the money just as we must set up the operating system in our laptops. We must set the right standard about money first. Just as the concept of temple in the Old Testament is now renewed by Jesus Christ, who has become the temple himself, the concepts of money and wealth have been renewed by the teachings of Jesus. In the Old Testament time, wealth and long life were symbols of eternal life that will be given to God's people. That's why it is said that all God's people will live long and live prosperity. But who fulfilled this promise of fruitfulness and even eternal life, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life with him here on earth and in heaven. So, in the New Testament, there is no mention of anyone who became wealthy because he believed in Jesus or lived a long life because she believed in Jesus. He talked a lot about selling your possessions and carrying the poor. It tells us we should be content with what we have. It teaches us that we should not be worried about what to eat, what to wear, or where to live. Put the kingdom of God first and all the rest. God will take care for us. If we are Christ Jesus, we have life. We have the true abundance, the true wealth. Then how are we to view the wealth God gives us? Money and wealth is the gift God gives us. Money and wealth is the gift God gives us. God gives us many gifts. He gives, uh, he gives them to us so that we can serve him and his people well. Paul talks about this gift in the first Corinthians. In chapter 12 and verse 11, he says, all these are empowered by one 
and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, as he wills. When God gives us these gifts, the spirit gives them as he wills. It's the same with money and wealth. Simply put, it is not distributed equally. Some people get lots, some people get little. Seems very unfair. Yes. And sometimes I wonder why God wouldn't give me more when I am sure I could use it well. Again. <laughs> Again. I think it is a matter of accepting God's sovereignty and trusting him in that he knows what the best. And he will do things according to his will and in his time. I don't think our main focus around be, should be on, him, on this. Now, in the first Corinthians 12, 31, Paul tells us this. But eagerly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. We are desire the higher gifts. Paul had listed the different gifts earlier, earlier, in the, uh, earlier in the chapter, such as message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous power, prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. And then in verse 31, he tells us to desire higher gifts. And then there is chapter 13, the famous chapter about love. So many people think love must be the higher gift, but that is not right. That is not right. In Matthew 23, Jesus says that the greatest commandment to all believers is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind, and to love our neighbors as yourselves. Love is a command for all of us, no matter what our gifting is. Love is a command for all of us, no matter what our gifting is. Paul is not taking about which gift is higher or which gift is better here. I think he is comparing gifts with love without love. So when Paul says to desire the higher gifts, he means to exercise your gift with love. If you are given the gift of tongue, you should pray in tongue with love for the community and the people around you rather than being proud and thinking you are more spiritual than others. If God has given you the gift of healing, then make it higher gift by using that gift with love. Don't be proud. Don't treat people with conceit. Don't seek your own benefit. Use it with love, and it will be a higher gift. Did God give you money and wealth? 
than treat it as it is, a gift from God. If you become proud, treat others with contempt, use it just for your benefit, then it will not be the higher gift. And you are not using it as God had intended. Gift from God is always connected to your calling, the calling to serve the church, to serve others, and your community. To serve God and to serve others is the purpose of the gifts. With money comes responsibility. If God gives you lots, you should humble your heart and ask what God may expect from you with this gifting. How God may want you to serve God and serve others. If God gives you little, I want to tell you not to be discouraged. Not to be discouraged. The world asks, how much do you have? What skills do you have? But we are not supposed to measure success with the standard of the world. Of course, we may have little because of our laziness or poor management or sinful behaviors. But for many, despite hard work, money and wealth seem elusive. And the world may look at you and say, you are failure, but in God's eyes, you are not. There is the parable of talents in Matthew 25. One talent of gold is about 20 years worth of wage. So we can calculate it to be about $800,000. So when the master distributed five talents to the first servant, two talents to the second servant, and one talent to the third servant. We can say that they received $4 million, $1.6 million, and $800,000 respectively. After a long time, the master returned to settle the account with the servants. The two servants put their money to work, and they brought back $8 million and $3.2 million. Now there seems to be a lot of difference between the amount, but these two servants received the same praise from the master. You are good and faithful servant. You are good and faithful servant. But the servant who had received $800,000 he brought back nothing, and he blamed the master. He said he, know, he knew how mean the master was, and that he was too afraid to lose the money to work with it. I think he just did not want to work with what the master had given him. Maybe he was upset that the master has given him so much less than the other servants. But you know what? These are not acceptable excuses. He is a servant. He is to work for 
the master, his lord. Money is important, and we, we need it to live. But we must remember that we are Christians who already have the citizenship of God's kingdom. We are to live out our faith. Faith is God's provision and God's sovereignty. We should not be disappointed because we do not have much. And we should not be proud because we have more. Money is not a measure of God's blessing. It is a gift God gives to people according to his will, and we are called to use it for God and his kingdom with love. Let us pray. Father God, money is important in our everyday life. But we are Christians who had the most valuable things, the kingdom of God. Help us to live by faith, not by what we have. Whether, we, whether, whether you have given us lots or little, help us to connect what we have with your calling. Help us to ask you and think deeply about how we can use what we have for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.